we're making a movie. My favorite Kendrick's Brothers movie uh, by far. I love Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Our first film was Flywheel, which was basically about lordship. Then we produced Facing the Giants, which was primarily about faith. Fireproof was primarily about unconditional love. Courageous is obviously about courageous parenting, specifically fatherhood. This film is about the power of prayer and the necessity of prayer in our lives. It's what opens up the floodgates for God to come down and be involved in our everyday circumstances. Most of us have something of a financial strategy, an education strategy for our children, maybe even a health strategy. To win any battle, you've got to have the right strategy and the right resources. But oftentimes, when it comes to prayer, it's a wish to the wind. A lot of people don't pray because they don't believe it works. But unfortunately, it doesn't work because we don't really pray. God calls us to a much deeper level of faith. He has us fight not human flesh and blood, but fight the war that is in the heavenlies. That can only happen from our knees. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your inner room, in your secret place. We seek God first before going to war, if you will. That verse and that passage is one of the keys to this movie. It's really easy to make prayer an afterthought. We want people uh, to begin to fight their battles in prayer first. So if I was to ask what your prayer life was like, would you say it was hot or cold? I don't know that I would say it's hot. I mean, we're like most people. We have busy lives. We work. But I would consider myself a spiritual person. This movie is about a husband and a wife who have a marriage that's hanging on by a thread. There's one thing we do well, it's fight. Elizabeth is a wife and a mom who really is struggling when you meet her in the movie. You don't know it from looking at her. She kind of puts on this little polished professional veneer, but underneath there's lots of huge cracks. The main one is her marriage really is falling apart. My character, Tony Jordan, is a very successful guy. I think Tony represents a lot of guys in America. He works his job through himself, the status that it has, what it can give him, and how he appears to people. Tony, how's my favorite rep? I'm real good. How you doing? Tony Jordan could care less if God blesses him. Tony Jordan hurts if he doesn't get the sale. We want to say thank you and let you know there's a nice bonus coming your way. I like that. You see Tony Jordan running into different people that continuously just feed the flame. Look, Tony, you can fight against your wife and maybe hold your own. But if God is fighting for, you can hit the gym all you want, bro. It's not looking good for you. They're just callous. They've just got this hard exterior toward each other, and it seems like neither side is going to break. Look, I'm just tired of her. All right? I said it. I'm just tired of her nagging me. All right? I just don't need that. I don't need her junk, Mike. Her junk? Dude, you married her junk and all. They just are trying to get through life. Can I ask you how much you pray for your husband? Uh, well, very little. And an older, wiser woman who comes into this young wife's life and shows her how powerful a weapon prayer can be in helping to keep her family intact. 
Now, I used to do what you and your husband are doing, but it got me nowhere. I don't have time to pray that much every day. But you apparently have time to fight losing battles with your husband. I don't know of anything that's more needed right now as a nation here in the United States than prayer. If we can call the body of Christ to take seriously our conversations with God and we commit to pray, can you imagine what God can do in and through us? There is nothing impossible for our God. You need to plead with God to do what only he can do. And then you need to get out of the way and let him do it. I don't even know where to start. If you look at the history of the church, the history of revival and the Great Awakenings, it always was connected to people unifying and praying for the Lord to work in that situation. And that's what we want to happen in our generation. If we return to prayer, passionately, actively, seeking the Lord, and we're right with Him and right with each other, God can do amazing things in our lives. We will see an explosion of the presence of God as a result of the prayers of His people. We're asking God to use these productions as a unifying agent in the body of Christ. When the church becomes one, as Jesus prayed that we would be, not only will his blessing fall, but I believe it's a catalyst of a revival in our generation. You need to do your fighting in prayer. And you need to kick the real enemy out of your home with the word of God. It's time for you to fight a little better. It's time for you to fight for your it's time for you to fight the real enemy. It's time for you to take off the gloves and do it. There was a small white farmhouse with a closed-in porch. A couple barns set on the property. It really was a short walking distance across the field from the church. When you walked into the home, you were greeted by an elderly lady in her 80s, not really even five foot tall, especially because she was bent over and sometimes had to use a cane to be able to walk. If you went through her small house, you would find couches and chairs in the living room, of course, and, and then you would make your way back around the corner, and there was this room. In that room, you could tell there was serious business going on. It was a room where there was a lot of prayer. It was also a room where there was a lot of writing and correspondence. If you looked on the shelves, there were stacks of pamphlets, Bible studies, some Bibles. Then there were a bunch of envelopes, postage stamps, and a chair that was well-worn. Her name was Grace Anderson. She spent time sending Bible studies to people in prison, some people for life. She also had recently done something that was quite, well, uncommon for an elderly person. She had started to show up at youth group. She would get to know some kids and she would encourage them. The church had gone through some devastating times with the lack of youth pastors with integrity that had fallen morally. 
But God had begun to touch that youth group across the field and kids were coming to know Jesus Christ. Kids were getting serious about the mission of God. And she invited them to come to her house to pray on Saturday nights. Saturday nights? Are you kidding me? A youth invitation to go and pray? But it was really quite striking what started to happen. That small living room began to fill up with kids regularly on a Saturday night. Oh, some weeks would be a little bit stronger than other weeks, of course, and you know how it goes with schedules, but there was an awareness that there was prayer meeting at Grace's house on Saturday nights. Why Saturday? Because we were praying for Sunday morning. It went on for probably about a year. But that experience in my life was formative to what you just heard challenged before you. That there's a war room that's needed. A war room that is able to be able to enter the gates of hell, if you will. Not with water pistols, but with the full authority and the divine weapons that God gives us to tear down strongholds and to be able to hold back the evil one who seeks to wreak havoc, not only in our earth, but havoc in the homes of family units that we were trying to reach. I was one of the youth volunteers. You've heard me state before how instrumental that was in my life, but one of the things that I cannot get out of my mind is Grace Anderson consistently week in and week out, taking her life at the age of 80-something and giving it away by writing people in prison, corresponding with them, being able to get involved in young people's lives and teaching them how to pray. There were moments when we would have people praying on top of one another. I'm not talking physical bodies. You know what I'm saying? Where you think, oh, it's all nice and neat, so you pray, and then someone else prays, and there's a bunch of silence, and it gets awkward. We said, hey, we are not here for how this looks. We are here because there's people we care about that need Jesus and we need to grow closer to him. And so sometimes we would just end up praying on top of one another. And I would take a moment and I would pause and I would look, open my eyes and look at some of the kids and I would say, Lord, may we not take some type of selfish pride that we're here praying, but may you hear these prayers and may they be incense before your throne because we do want to see how things happen through these young people's lives and in our little community. Had someone sit down with me this week over lunch, they looked at me in the eye, the person knows me quite well, and they said to me, I'm concerned that um, you've changed. I said, what do you mean, I've changed? Well, you're doing a lot of things great. But I don't see you doing some of the prayer walks like you used to do, at least on a regular basis. And there's just some other things you see a little bit overwhelmed. It was my son who told me this. (laughs) I'm like, why did I send you away on that two-month experience? (laughs) He went away for a couple months this summer, and he's speaking into my life. But, you know, I had to admit to him, he's probably right. We all have those seasons where we get away from that which we know really needs to be the former thing. Our intimacy with Christ, growing with him and praying. 
I was blessed then this week to be invited over to someone's house who was in their 80s from our church. Just recently started attending. She wanted to show me her husband's library. Her husband was a chaplain in the Navy, a captain for 30 years. He had passed away a few years ago, and her study, the study that he left behind, she was wanting to turn into a bedroom, and she was interested if I had interest in any of the books. That was like Christmas. <laughs> I spent some time going through books. The man was well-read, deep heart for God. She has a deep heart, I could tell. But I was getting ready to leave, and I saw one last book. Old books I look at, because you never know when you might find a gem. This book was written by a man named Leonard Ravenhill, called Revival Praying. I used to read a lot of this man. This man was a radical revivalist. In fact, I called him one day when I hadn't gone into college yet. I spoke with him on the phone. And he said his fear was he would pass away from this life without seeing revival hit in this world, in this nation. He did pass away, but this book hailed back to a book, a newer version of the verse, book that I'd read a number of years ago. I opened it up, and in the preface, Leonard Ravenhill says this, My old master Samuel Chadwick had some barbed phrases in his lectures, sermons, and talks. I could still hear his mellow voice saying, Brethren, the crying sin of the church is her laziness after God. Praying people, however, are not lazy. Prayer demands willpower. Prayer recognizes unfinished business with and for God. Prayer is a battle for full-grown men and women, fully armed and fully awake to the possibilities of grace. I write here my const- by constraint, for my spirit is sore, my heart sick, at the slothfulness with which we tarry in prayer. My head hangs low that communists will give more for their, their dying cause than we will give for the living Christ. That is a generational statement. You could input extreme Muslim terrorists, whatever. People that are willing to give more for their cause than what we give for a living Christ. I'm not here to to beat us up about prayer. I think we could find identity in that war room video clip uh, quite well with the lady who says, well, we're busy people. There's a lot that we do. But I want to call us back in an extended church, back to church orientation time to prayer. And in particular, this is what I want to just put before you as a question. Do you or do you not believe that prayer can move the hand of God? Do you or do you not believe that prayer can move the hand of God? Because if you do not really believe that prayer is communion with God, participating with God as He leads this world, and that He can make things happen, then I really don't know why we pray. I understand that prayer draws us into intimacy with God. We commune with God and all those kinds of things. But to be honest, I won't end up praying too much. I'll have fewer prayer walks on a dusty country road if I do not believe that prayer actually can move the hand of God. 
in Scripture, we find some scenarios of people who prayed and God worked. Now, we can read those scenarios and we go, well, why didn't it happen to me? I've been praying and praying and praying. Nothing happens. Well, so be it. Sometimes God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. I understand that. But we should never get lazy or slothful when it comes to engaging with God in prayer and the means of being able to participate with him in the governing ordinances of this world. And so the question, do you believe prayer moves the hand of God? You've got to stay consistently, I believe, in scriptures and understanding some stories, if you will, some characters before you to help buoy up the faith to know that can happen. There are stories today of God answering prayer. In fact, there are stories today. I even talked to some people here this morning. God answering prayer. But we as humans can get weary sometimes and we get discouraged thinking, yeah, but does he really hear me? Does he really know what's going on? Does God have interest in operating on my behalf? I want to just highlight for you quickly this morning four characters. Elijah. Hezekiah, Daniel, all out of the Old Testament, yes, and Jesus. We read this of Elijah and James. James chapter 5, verse 13, New Living Translation. Now, why are we in the New Testament? Because it's referencing Elijah. Elijah was sort of a, a pretty powerful kind of guy. He, he had a lot of things going for him. He was able to be fed by ravens, and, and he was able to raise a person from the dead. He was able to call down fire from heaven on an altar. He was able to outrun horses and chariots. I mean, he was athletic. I mean, the dude had significant things going for him. All right? It says this, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And that's something we do practice here, spiritual leaders. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. And then it says this of Elijah. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Elijah was also with Moses when Jesus had a moment on top of a mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah came back with Moses. He's a big story mega prophet. And all of us would like to say, well, yeah, but I'm not one of those big story mega prophets. I'm not even a big story Christian. In fact, I'm a small little person. In 1 Kings 17 and 18 is where Elijah came out of the blue out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, an unknown, to speak into King Ahab's life. And it says this, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these days except by my word. And it happened. But the interesting thing in James, it says what? Elijah was a great, powerful, mega prophet. Man, he was able to get in touch with God. Watch out, man. Put him on TV. We're good to go. No. James is saying Elijah was a man, human being, just like us. 
And he can take broken lives. He can take backward, double-minded people. And he can begin to use them and use them mightily through prayer. The second character is Hezekiah. Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20, verse 1, it says this. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Wow, that's a heavy word. So King Hezekiah heard this. He turned his face to the wall and he prayed to God. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and he wept bitterly. Verse 4. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. Can I read that again for all of you in case you just started to doze on me? This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor, David, says. I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. I will heal you in three days from now. You will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue in this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant, David. Wow. He was told divinely that he was going to die. And he goes and he knocks on the door of God and he says, And God does what? He changes his mind. Can God do that? But doesn't God already know what's going to happen beforehand, like uh, foreknowledge? Friends, don't even try to go there with your pea-sized brain. (laughs) We live in chronological time. God lives outside of time, all right? God is dynamic. He's not static. He is able to make things happen. And here, he did. He changed his mind. Why? Because somebody prayed. Yes, for their own life. But why did he end up answering the prayer? He ended up answering the prayer because of the honor for the sake of my servant David, which references the glory of the nation of Israel. You need to understand this. I wish more time could tell to to take uh, time to go there, but many times maybe our prayers aren't answered because we do pray for selfish interest rather than ultimately for the glory of God. And so if I pray for 15 more years to my life, I'm not praying for a self-centered way because I'd like to acquire more wealth. I am praying so that my life may glorify God. I've been ministering the last couple, three weeks with a man who's got a lot of illnesses going on in his life. He needs multiple surgeries. 
He lives over uh, in Santa Ana. He was a very powerful, strong man, used to do life coaching, had ministries. He's very broken. And he said to me, he said, Pastor Kerry, if God's able to restore my life again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to up the ante. I just want to serve him better than I did. I can join him in prayer because I know his heart is to glorify God. Elijah, Hezekiah, they prayed. Things happened. You see, the war room, and I like that, don't you? The war room. I have to go see the movie when it comes out a week from prayer. The war room idea, to me, is like, I don't know, when you think about all the political strategies, military strategies, and the idea that you get to walk in and participate with some huge decision, like, would you like to do that? Some of you political military junkies want to, you know, help make decisions for the U.S. government right now kind of thing. Let me in there. Let me sort of weigh in on some things. Let me see all the, you know, the classified stuff, whatever's going on. And, and so the concept of being able to be invited into that room is what you are granted in the heavenlies. This has helped me tremendously in my prayer. So when I do pray, when I do go in my prayer walks, when I pray for a service such as this, when I pray for what God's called us to do as a church, I say, Lord, you really, it's not like fatalism. Just I get to participate and, you, and, and we get to decide. He says, yeah, it's just for my glory. He says, I, I, I'm not made you as robots. I gave you wills. I want you to participate with me. In the end times, it talks about us being rulers with Christ, co-heirs with Christ and all this. So we get this opportunity, sort of boot camp here, right, to participate with him for the eons of eternity and he invites us into the war room. And the vision I have has usually been more like a governing board table. Some big, high and powerful company. Think about it that way. And you, oh, go away. Or who are you? How'd you get past security? No. No. They, Jesus opens the door and he sees you and he says, oh, Carrie. Yeah, good to see. I'm glad you're here. Come in. Have a seat. Have a seat up here. Where? That's, that's close to the front. No, have a seat there. Let me introduce you. This is God the Father. Here's God the Holy Spirit. You know, you know me. I'm your son. And, and there's a couple, three other guys and the gals that have come in here today. And uh, we want to hear from you. You want to hear from me? Well, I'd like it to stop raining for three years. Just to call people back to you. I, I'd like to have it, have it be so I have 15 more years of life. Arrogant. <laughs> Who are you? No, that's not what Jesus would do. It's okay. Now, it may not fit in with his sovereign will. His ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. But he's there. He says, let me, let me hear you out. I'm like, all right, God. I think you've called me to California. And uh, there's this church that's gone through a lot of transition. Had some really good momentum, lost some momentum, moved in some facilities, those kinds of things. Good people, great leaders gone beforehand. I want this church to participate with other churches to be able to rock the valley for you in Temecula. What do you think? <laughs> Who are you? Arrogant. No. He leans in. He says, well, tell me about it. 
And I said, well, Lord, it's a lot different than the Midwest, maybe. But um, a lot of churches back there. And there's a significant number of churches in this valley. But you know what, God? I'm experiencing... experience a lot of broken lives and people that maybe know about you but they don't know you and I don't know how we can be mobilized maybe through a, 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 a kids musical production to reach into some fun young family's life we're establishing a middle school that's able to teach kids how to have identity in you rather than all the junk around them maybe it's through inviting people into a, a rooted experience for 10 weeks where they can grab a hold of you I, I don't know. There's different means. I, I know you want to work through me. I want us to empower and encourage one another. And, and as we sort of, you know, uh, ears to the ground, what's happening in my neighborhoods, my work environment, somehow, God, I want you to come upon us as a people and get us away from our laziness, our slothfulness, and let's make the main thing the main thing. Will you break on our hearts a passion for lost people? That's my Because I can't do this thing. I'm just doing it from one week to another week. And so I speak to you today on prayer. And I invite you into the boardroom of heaven. Because prayer can move the hand of God. And sometimes... His hand doesn't move right away. But you cannot become discouraged. Elijah, Hezekiah, Daniel. Daniel had some incredible visions. The chapter before chapter 10 in Daniel, he's actually visited by the archangel Gabriel. But in chapter 10 of Daniel we find that he has uh, been praying quite a while. And he saw someone. Someone appeared to him. Someone appeared to him and it describes it this way in verse 7. Not the one that will be up here yet. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men, we did not see it that were with me, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deadly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and I listened to him. I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had said this, I stood up trembling. And then these verses out of the New Living Translation. Then he said, we don't know the name of who this person is, or this angel, whoever appeared before him. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding, to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven, and I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. What? Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there, and the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. 
21 days prior, this messenger of God had been sent to affirm Daniel and his prayer. Seemingly in the spiritual realm, something has been held up by some Persian person. An evil spirit. The archangel Michael. I mean, we just heard about Gabriel in the chapter before. Now Michael is sent to deal with the Persian guy so the messenger can get on his way. And you go, well, that's an incredible story. I go, yeah, it is an incredible story. That's why it's a war room. Jesus before he was crucified, had a pretty significant prayer. Jesus says this to his father in John 17. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I don't want to get to heaven and have regrets that I did not seize the day and the opportunity I had to live in. To reach people for Jesus and to grow in a passionate pursuit of him. You may be here this morning even questioning God's very existence or if you believe in God, maybe you believe he's not a very personal God. You cannot go through scriptures and read the story of great saints as well as insignificant saints and realize that God does want to have a personal relationship with you, but not as an ends in itself. He wants to bring glory to the Father through your life. Will you enter the war? Maybe it's for your marriage. Maybe it's for a friend. Maybe it's for you to be able to make some financial ends meet to provide for your children. God wants to know your needs. They're not selfish needs if they're burdened on your heart. You can ask God, give me the right kind of burdens and the right kind of wants and the right kinds of desires. But just be real with him. Elijah was a man just like us. But I tell you what, he prayed a long time probably before he got to a place where he was confident to pray for the heavens to open up or shut up with the rain. The last verse I leave with you is this one. It comes as just a word of exhortation. In Philippians 4, it says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I'd like to close us in prayer. Father, we...
acknowledge, all of us, myself included, that we can easily be prone to thinking that you're not active in our life or want to act through our life on the behalf of others for your glory. I pray you would rally us together through your spirit as a body for your work, beginning with your work of prayer. Lord, I've been taught through the years that we do not pray for the work, but that prayer is the work. And to that end, may you call us back into our war room. For whatever the needs may be in our life, whatever the needs may be in this world, may you call us to a place, whether of stilled silence and the quietness of a room, or as we travel commuting in a car, or as we're working out, whatever it may be, God, may you call us to commune with you, and may we be individuals who, not because of who we are, but because of who you are living in us, may we be bold to ask that your hand would act for the purpose of your glory. And Lord, may we not become weary in well-doing, for we do not know what is in the spiritual realm. And we also do not know how defiant a wayward will can be of one we're praying for. But Lord, may we persist. May we not hold back. And may we, for your glory, be a people who move into this fall, not just with church operations and programs and opportunities, but may we move forward as an army empowered and equipped to use the tools you've given us and the opportunities you've given us to see lost people come to know you. And Lord, here this morning, if there's anyone who's probably maybe in that category, they don't even know what lost means, but their life's not going well and they're confused as to what a relationship with you would mean, may you draw near to them, maybe through a friend encouraging them, maybe through reading your scripture this week, maybe by praying with someone here today, but may you draw near to them and let them know that you love them and you have a plan for their life. You want to come and dwell within them and use their life for your glory. So, Lord, to that end, may you give us hope and a purpose as a people. And may you stir us up with a holy fire to be able to be your body, your church this fall. In your name we pray and worship you. Amen. Amen. Worship team, lead us in this song. There's a cross back here, and um, you always have the opportunity, if you want to pray with somebody, they can work your way back to the cross. People back there to be able to pray with you. Feel free to do that even during this worship song as we stand and sing, but the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connection cards. Any way you want to participate in the action, what God's doing this fall for us as a church, please do so. But let's sing this song together, and then I'll close with a benediction.